morning's reading is Daniel 4, 18 through 27. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Good morning, everybody. Um, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and take a look. Lord, um, the book of Daniel is full of um, disturbing images, but also, in the end, hope-inducing images. So be with us as we look at this. And Lord, as uh, Jesus said, if we live in this life, we will have trouble. It's just a, a matter of living in a fallen and a broken world. And uh, Lord, trouble does come our way. Father, I want to pray for uh, Brother Jonathan, whose house caught on fire. Uh, Lord, their tests need to come back and insurance decisions that need to be made and, and all sorts of um, powers that are at play in all of this. And Lord, the message that we're going to hear this morning is you're in charge of all of that anyway. 
So we pray to you that you would um, have this all rule out favorably in Jonathan's uh, care, Lord, that uh, it would be exactly the right answer. So we lift him up to you and we ask your blessing on him and, and his deliverance from this big uh, tragedy that's, that's befallen him. Thank you that he was safe, that uh, he was not hurt. I pray that uh, the things that he's lost would not be irreplaceable, but Lord, that you would make up for uh, what he's lost in the fire. And so, Lord, now be with us as we turn to your word. Help us to see and understand. Help us to believe what you say is true. And, Lord, I pray that it would be transformative for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, in 1947, the Taft-Hartley Act was passed. Uh, the president vetoed it, went back to Congress. Congress overrode the veto, and it was law. And what the Taft-Hartley Act did was it restricted the activities, and the power of labor unions. So as you can imagine, labor unions and union members were not happy about this, and so there were strikes. And that included, one of the strikes was the printers in the city of Chicago went on strike for a year. Now, in those days, if your newspaper didn't go to print, you didn't have a newspaper. There was no backup. You couldn't just publish on the internet. That was it. And so there was a... Uh, uh, a paper in Chicago called the Chicago Daily Tribune. And what they did to get to press was they resorted to an older printing process. Um, it would add hours to their process. So their, due, their, their, their time when they had to go to press rolled back hours earlier, but it allowed them to continue to print. Now in 1948, the next year, the president was facing a really tough reelection bid. His Democratic Party had split three ways. The Southern Democrats didn't like some of the social uh, justice, the, the civil rights wording in the platform. And so they broke off and formed the Dixiecrats and ran against him. There were others who didn't like the president's Cold War policies and they broke off and they formed the progressives and they ran against him. And to make all that worse, his Republican opponent was extremely popular. And so he was facing a really tough reelection bid. So, the 1948 presidential election started off in a super tight race between these two, between the incumbent and the challenger. Well, now the editors of the Chicago Daily Tribune had to make a difficult decision. They couldn't not publish anything about the election, but they had to go to press early while the election results were still coming in. So what they decided to do is they said, we're gonna call the election early. Now they did that based on the best information they had at hand. Uh, they had a, a Washington correspondent who worked for them. He, he was a, um, a political analyst, and he had predicted four out of the last five presidential elections correctly. The common wisdom of the day, the, the, the kind of um, common understanding of what was going on was that the, the challenger was really super popular and would win by a landslide. And then to make matters more complicated, the Chicago Daily Tribune leaned Republican. Uh, one time calling the president an ink and poop in their editorials. And so they, they made the call and, and they went to press with this headline. Dewey defeats Truman. Now, what happened was Harry S. Truman pulled one of the greatest upsets in American political history. He won with his party fractured three different ways. He won 303 electoral votes to Dewey's 189 and he won the presidency. 
So what the Chicago Daily Tribune editors relied on was the information before them and their understanding and, and, and everything, but they forgot something that's really important. What they forgot was the most high rules, the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So this is something that politicians and potentates perennially forget. Uh, even as recently as the 2016 election where everybody just figured that Hillary Clinton was gonna win. And that was a tremendous upset. She's still complaining about the fact that she didn't win uh, because it was just presumed that it was gonna go that way. Well, it was also a lesson that 2,600 years ago, Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn and he would find out kind of the hard way. So that's what we're gonna see this morning is we're gonna go through this, this uh, story in chapter four. Um, I've titled it, um, The Most High and the Kingdoms of Men, part one because chapters four and five really fit together. They're telling the same thing, uh, but we're gonna take them in two steps. So this is part one of a two-part, if you will. Um, where we're at is it's about 20 years since chapter three, since the burning uh, furnace. It's been about 20 years and Nebuchadnezzar is set. One of the commentators explains it this way. The events of Daniel four take place about 20 years later. We are now at the peak of the king's reign. The king has finished his battles to expand his kingdom. He has plundered Egypt, Tyre, Israel, and the nations brought their, uh, and other nations and brought their treasure to Babylon. He used them to beautify existing temples and build new ones. For his wife, he built the famous hanging gardens, which became one of the seven wonders of the world. There is peace in his kingdom. The king has arrived. If Nebuchadnezzar, if Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a big deal before, 20 years later, that is just cemented. He is a big deal. And so the sec this chapter begins with Nebuchadnezzar picking up the pen and writing to the people. This, this is what he says, Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is Nebuchadnezzar's grand proclamation to the nations. He addressed it to all peoples, nations, and languages because, or all peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt on the earth because these Babylonian rulers believed they ruled the world. They, they basically were over everything that was known. They ruled from the, um, the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean from Egypt all the way up to modern Iraq. That was the known universe at the time. There were some barbarians outside that, but this was the universe, this was the world. And so he writes to his domain, which is everybody in his opinion. So he, he sends this message out and he's got something important for them to hear. Um, the NIV translates it, I like the way they say it a little bit better. He said, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. It pleased me. It is my pleasure to write to you. I have something that I want you to hear and it makes me happy. So what Nebuchadnezzar does in this very beginning introduction is he, announced, he, he, he acknowledges that there is a king who's greater than even he. This king, whose dominion endures for, for generation to generation, this king whose kingdom is eternal. There's somebody greater than him, and it pleases him to write them with this knowledge. 
And so he, he says in verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and pondering my palace or, or prospering in my palace. He, he's got it. It's all life is good. Uh, I'm sitting on my back porch. I've got a nice tea. I'm looking at the lawn is nice and green. The, the shrubs are growing. The flowers are in bloom. The car is in the driveway and it's beautiful. Uh, this is just great. Life is wonderful. I am on top of the world. But then there's always the but then, isn't there? Verse five, I saw in a dream that made me afraid. As I lie in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. The previous gene from chapter two troubled him. It bothered him. There was something troublesome about it. This one is a nightmare. This one terrifies him. He is absolutely afraid because of this new dream. And so he begins to explain it. Verse six. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me and that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Now, remember last time he wouldn't even tell them the dream. He's like, you guys got to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. This time he tells it to them and they still can't answer. So why did he call these folks in? Why bother? You blew it last time. I'm going to do it again. Where's Daniel? Shouldn't he just start with Daniel? Um, well, we'll see in a second. There's a reason. Perhaps Daniel was out of town. Maybe he was doing something else. Who knows? But verse 8 says, at last, Daniel came in before me. Whew. I, dealt with the, I dealt with second stream. I'm ready for first string team to come in. So Daniel comes in. He whose name was Belteshazzar after the name of my God. Uh, his god, by the way, was named Bel. And so that's what Belteshazzar, that's where it, it comes from. Um, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. So thank heavens Daniel showed up. Remember last time, the dream? He didn't get an answer, and what did he do? Kill them all. Daniel shows up in the nick of time again, and this time he's, he's, you know, there's no threat of anybody being killed, but it's time for Nebuchadnezzar to hear the story. And so this is the story. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of heaven lived in the branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Doesn't sound like a nightmare so far. This sounds very beautiful. Like, you know, this, this gorgeous tree that's just producing. And what's terrifying about that? That, that sounds wonderful. Well, what's terrifying about that is what comes next. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Now, the, the word came down in this context and in this location, remember, we're in Babylon, to come down from heaven in the minds of the Jews at the time, that might recall for them the Tower of Babel. We, we mentioned that in chapter 2, kind of hinted at that. Maybe that's what's going on now. The Jews read this, and they hear come down. 
And God, you know, had to come down and check out this huge tower they were building to reach him. So maybe that's that same kind of thing. It's got that same theme of, you know, we're something special. And then the other term there is watcher. Um, people can get really wrapped up around this stuff. Uh, this is some special category of angel in this imaginary hierarchy of angels and stuff. Remember, we're reading Aramaic at this point. It's not Hebrew anymore. That's the first thing is this is Aramaic. Second thing is, who wrote this? Was it a Jew that wrote this? No, this is Nebuchadnezzar is writing this stuff down. So what we should anticipate is these are different words. These are from a different culture and a different language explaining heavenly beings. And the word watcher is only used in the book of Daniel. We don't find it anywhere else describing heavenly beings. So it's just an angel. <laughs> it doesn't have to be anything outrageous, this, this special category. Um, this is what the, the Babylonians referred to as angels, was watchers. It comes up a couple more times in this chapter, but that's it. We never hear it again. So um, please never major in the minors, you know, just let's, let's stick with this. So the watcher comes down and, and he speaks. He proclaimed, verse 14, he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from underneath it and the birds from its branches. There's the nightmare. This beautiful image is gonna to be torn apart. And that's a decree from heaven. This isn't just man being goofy with creation. This is God making this decree. And this is why it begins to terrify Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 15, but let the stump of its root in the earth, or but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bras amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the earth. Did you catch it? Midstream, it goes from it to him. It's beginning to dawn on Nebuchadnezzar. The tree's him. That, that's representing his kingdom, his glory, his, his prosperity. And that's what terrifies him. You remember when he had the dream in chapter two with the, the, the gold head and the silver body and all of that? I, I theorized he was probably afraid that when that rock came and struck the feet, that was the end of his kingdom. And so he was super relieved to go, I'm the head of gold. Yay, I survive. So now he has that same, that same fear comes up again, but this time it's proven. The tree will be cut down and there'll be a band of iron and bronze wrapped around the root, the stump of the tree and all the glory is scattered. And so that's, that's what terrifies him. That's what scares him. And then the watcher continues, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. His glory will be stripped. His mind will be taken for him. He will be driven out. What a terrifying prospect. No wonder he was so upset. It also says, let seven periods of time pass over him. Now seven in a, in a Hebrew mindset is a, is a number of completeness of fullness. And so what this probably means is let a complete section of time transpire while he's in this condition. Um, one of the dangers in general, but especially in the book of Daniel, is we want to employ our magic secret decoder ring and, and, and figure out what everything is. There is nothing in this section that tells us what seven periods of time are. They could be seven days, it could be seven months, it could be seven years. I think it probably is seven years, but it could be seven seasons, which would be almost two years, right? Winter, spring, summer, and fall, winter, spring, summer. 
Um, it could be something like that. We don't know what the, the, the minimum we can take from this is it is a full period of time for Nebuchadnezzar to be in this state. So this is what is going to happen. Now, there's bad news and there's good news in that. The bad news is you're going to be stripped. All the things that you hold on to, all the things you trust in are going to be taken away. The good news is it's only seven periods of time. It's not eternal, but it's still terrifying to him. And so the, the watcher continues, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So the watcher says, this is the decree from heaven. That's what he means by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the holy ones, all of that. This is the decree of heaven. And why? Now we finally get to the reason. Why is he having this dream? Why is this? So that everybody who lives may know that the most high is the one who's, who is involved, who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That's why he's done it. That phrase, the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will, is repeated three times in chapter four and once in chapter five. That's why I said chapter five is part two. It's the theme of these two stories. The most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It's the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn in order to, um, to be an effective ruler, in order to accomplish what God had set him there to do. But it was also super important for the Jews in exile. They needed to know this. As, as you're in the middle of trouble, as you're in the middle of things falling apart around you, it's hard to interpret what's actually going on. It's hard to understand why is this happening? So Daniel writes to them so that they know, look, Nebuchadnezzar didn't defeat Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get, somehow get loose of God's rule and go do his own thing. Nebuchadnezzar is where he is because the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. So that's hope for the Jews in exile. They can look at that and go, God's still in charge. Even with this brute on the throne, God is still in charge. So that's an important lesson. It's, it's something that we need to get as we're not in exile, but we are sojourners. And it can be intimidating to watch political uh, climates come and go and rulers rise and fall and all the, the turmoil. But the message to us too is the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so now Nebuchadnezzar picks up the pen and he or takes back the, the, the dialogue. He says, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of the kingdom could not make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. The most important ruler, the strongest man in the whole world, looks to Daniel and says, help. He's at a loss. We can look at that and go, well, didn't the watcher just tell you? But it's kind of like when Jesus would look at his disciples and go, the son of man will die and three days later rise again. And they look at him and go, I wonder what that means. The, the, uh, the obvious answer is too wonderful to behold. It's too, too uh, outrageous to think of. And I think that's where Nebuchadnezzar is, is yeah, the watcher kind of explained it, but it's, it, it seems too fanciful. So he asked Daniel, please tell me what this means, help. Then Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. 
So the, the king's nightmare terrified Daniel as well. And perhaps it's because of what happened last time the king had a dream. The threat rolled out, off with their heads. And so maybe Daniel is terrified because he knows this guy is a powder keg and will go off at any moment. That's a possibility. Um, shooting the messenger is a real thing. I mean, that, that, that comes from something that really happens. And so um, he says, Belteshazzar, I know what I'm like, but don't let it bother you. Just go ahead and do this. And so Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. A very diplomatic answer, a, a possibly a, a wise political answer, but maybe Daniel really meant it. Maybe, maybe he honestly didn't want this to befall the king. Uh, maybe Daniel was honestly distressed because of what was going to happen to his boss. How would you feel if you were uh, pressed into service in the White House? You didn't have a choice. You were made to go work in the White House, and it was for a president of the other party who you really didn't like, who, whose values were very different than yours, who stood for things that you, you opposed, who oppose things you stand for. And you go into the president's office, you go into the Oval Office and, and you hear, I have liver cancer. Surely you would, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, sir. And then walk out in the hallway and go, yes. I, and that's the temptation. I, I don't think that's what Daniel is doing. I don't think he's faking it. I think what he's doing is he's genuinely concerned for this king. He's watching over this and going, this is terrible. I don't want this to happen to this man. He is opposed to everything I stand for, and I still don't want bad things to happen to him. Can we operate that way? Can we function politically that way to look at a president we strongly disagree with and, and still honor and respect and not want bad things to happen to him? That, that's Daniel's. As a matter of fact, it's not just Daniel's words. That's Jesus, Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So how do we live in this foreign culture as ambassadors of a kingdom in this, whatever this is? Well, one of the ways is we listen to Jesus and we love our enemies and we pray for those in power, even when they're from the wrong party and, and we respect them like Daniel did. I think Daniel is legitimately concerned for, for um, Nebuchadnezzar. That's something to think about. So this is Daniel's interpretation. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that it re its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all under which beasts of the field were found in shade or under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. It's you. The watchers were pretty clear about that. He needed a human face in front of him to say, that's you, king. That's what this is talking about. So Daniel then goes on to interpret that symbolism, that, that picture that's been painted of him. He's not a tree. He's not a tree. But his, he has grown and his glory overflows and it just benefits all around him. And so here's how Daniel continues. 
And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods have passed over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. There's that phrase again. That's what you're, you're missing. This is the bad news, Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't get it. You still haven't learned. And so this is what will befall you. You will lose your place among civil society and live with beasts that are given to serve you. Your feasts will be taken away. These big elaborate feasts will be taken away and you'll eat grass. Your magnificent palace will be replaced with an open field. That's what it means about the, the dew of heaven will fall on him. You get covered in dew when you're laying out rough in the, in the open field. This palace that you are just so proud of, you're not even going to be able to be in it. So that's the future. That's what's going to happen on you. But it won't last forever, seven periods of time, and it will come to an end because you will learn. So the king will learn, but it, it will be a hard lesson. And so this is what happens next. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom. Um, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from that time that you know that heaven rules. You, in other words, that picture of the bands holding the root together, it's not the end of his kingdom. There's still this root that's still being held together, but it won't give, be given back to him until he knows that, that heaven rules. Heaven being um, metonymy for God. That's another word in the place of. It's a fancy word. It's a metonymy for in the place of. Um, his kingdom will be taken away, but He'll be, he'll be brought back. Heaven rules. And so therefore, O king, now what happens is Daniel offers some unsolicited advice. If Daniel put his neck out and really was, was going to be exposed, this is the moment he could wind up being in trouble. 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. You just hear what he just told the king? You're not righteous and you're rotten to the poor. Stop it. That's my advice to you. So when he says practice righteousness, Daniel is a Jew. He has a very specific understanding of what righteousness is. It's not dependent on the culture that he's in. It comes from God's word. This is what righteousness looks like. And when he says, stop oppressing the, uh, and have mercy on the oppressed, who are the oppressed? Well, pretty much all of the world at this point, but the Jews are certainly oppressed. So he's saying, have mercy on the Jews. That's my advice to you. Um, now, Daniel was so well-respected, he kept his head. We know that because he shows up later in the book. But the king, I mean, that's, that's pretty bold for him to go and say that to the king. And so here's where it goes, verse 28. All of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. We get a sneak peek. We, we get a, a, a peer ahead. All of this came on Nebuchadnezzar. Here's, where, here's how it happened. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. 
And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You have to understand what Babylon was at the time. It was magnificent. I saw a computer-generated fly-through of the city, and it's just breathtaking. The image that we have up, that blue tile with the lion in it, that was taken from something called the Gate of Ishtar. And in the gate, there, there's those blue tiles. You don't get blue naturally. You have to find something to make it blue. And so that, that represents immense wealth. And this giant gate is covered in blue. And these animals are parading across it. And, and it's huge. That, like we mentioned earlier, the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was an incredible engineering feat that was built. And they were able to irrigate them and all of this stuff. So when you think of Babylon, don't think of like some rundown third-rate country or something. This was magnificent. It was New York City. It was, you know, um, Seattle. Think of any of the great big cities of the world. That's what it was at the time. And Nebuchadnezzar steps out on, this, on his palace roof, and he looks around and goes, I did that. That was me. That's my work. It reminds me of in Chicago, there was a big fight with the city. Mayor Daley liked, now the Daleys were a, a, a dynasty of mayors in Chicago. Mayor Daley liked wrought iron and spires. And so when anybody was going to build something, he insisted that they have wrought iron in it. And any tall building had to have a spire. Um, president Trump wasn't president at the time. Mr. Trump at the time was going to build Trump Tower. And Daly said it has to have a spire on top. And the other huge personality in, in Donald Trump said, no, it's not. And so these two giants clashed. Guess who won? There is a Trump Tower, and it does have a spire. That's a picture of what Nebuchadnezzar is like. He's looking at this vast kingdom and going, I built that. This is exactly how I wanted it to be. Isn't it magnificent? It's, it's for my glory. So in other words, he didn't heed Daniel's advice. It's been a year. It's only been a year, and he's already forgotten what Daniel said. He may, the, the terror of the dream may have faded. And the worst thing is he's beginning to believe his own press. That means when all these people are just praising him, and he's the greatest, and isn't he wonderful, he believes what they're saying about him. That happens in sports circles where, where a player begins to believe his own press and then usually winds up blowing it. So Dan, that, that's what's happening with Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he missed. And this wasn't just Daniel. This was actually pronounced beforehand. Jeremiah 27. It's a little bit lengthy of a quote, but let me read it for you. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of, Jer of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is what you will say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the heaven or made the earth, 
with men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar is Yahweh's servant. I have given them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. That was Jeremiah who wrote before the exile. Before they, that, that part of Jeremiah was written before they had gone into exile. This idea that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills was not something that was invented in the exile. God had said that beforehand. And so Nebuchadnezzar, unfortunately, listened to his own press. He didn't hear the words of the prophets. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. A voice from heaven, no, no dream this time, no watchers, no Daniel. God now speaks directly to him. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. The voice of the story now changes. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer writing this. He can't. He's insane out in the field. So the narrator picks up and says, this happened to him. Now, there is a mental condition called boanthropy. Um, it's where a person believes themselves to be a bovine, an ox or, or a, um, a cow. There was a 10th century Persian prince who believed that, um, who, who fell prey to this and went out in the field and, and ate grass. Uh, a biblical scholar, I think it was somewhere around 1947, documented a case where he went to a mental institution and met a man who suffered from boanthropy. Uh, the guy would never eat any food in the, in the mental institution. He would go out, and apparently he was very picky about what grass he would, he would take clumps of. He would go out and, and he just thought that he was a cow. So there is this mental condition. This ain't that. This is not Nebuchadnezzar had a mental breakdown. This is a judgment from God that fell on him. This is something that is supernatural that God brought about for the purpose of teaching him a very important lesson. So don't, don't get too caught up on the boanthropy. It's a really cool thing. It's not what's happening here. It just looks like it. This is God's judgment on him. So now verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, ah, oh, he's back. The previous verses, he, now he's back. At the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the end of the appointed time, he looks up to heaven and his reason returns. He comes to himself, his mind is back. 
And the answer that he's gotten by, by crawling on his hands and knees and eating grass for seven periods of time is the most high rules man. He, he's learned his lesson and his reason is now back. So Nebuchadnezzar got it. And he understands the glory of heaven. He understands what's happening. So at verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me and the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. So it wasn't just he woke up and now was a pauper. Um, my counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. So he, he comes out of this delusion that he's a cow. And you can imagine probably naked in the field, his hair is long, he's covered in sweat and grime, he's got long fingernails. And I'm sure they didn't just go, well, the king's over there someplace. I'm sure they had guards watching him. And so when all of a sudden he stands up and he looks around and he's saying again, the guards call for his courtiers. And they come and they whisk off the king and they take him into the palace and they trim his nails and they wash him and they trim his hair and they trim his beard and, and they put clothes on him and they feed him. And now he's eating something other than grass and he, he's, he's getting the updates. Oh yeah, by the way, King, here's what's happened in the last, you know, the time since you've been gone. Uh, we've got these political things going on and you remember that guy? Well, he's gone and the new guy. So he gets caught back up. And the way he sums it up is he says, I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. My, my regent who took care of the kingdom while I was indisposed did a pretty good job and things have, have gotten better. And so now verse 37, now I can Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol the on, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar got it. He, he could be humbled. So the real headline is not Nebuchadnezzar defeats everyone. The headline that the Chicago Daily Tribune missed was the Most High defeats Nebuchadnezzar. That's what it should have been. That was the, the, the title that should have been there. So Nebuchadnezzar learned, the Jews in exile learned, and we need to learn God is sovereign in the affairs of men. He, he rules the kingdom of man and he gives it to whomever he will. So between the creation of Adam and the return of Jesus, God is giving the kingdom to different people. And we see nations rise and we see nations fall. We see uh, powerful uh, leaders come and take over and think they rule the world and then they're gone. It just is the way it is in this fallen world. That's how it goes. Most of these rulers are men of pride. They have to be. Remember my Napoleon quote early on? He was complaining to the, the king of Denmark, you just don't get it because you don't understand me. <laughs> You've forgotten that I let you rule. So that's the typical kind of person. So what's going on here with Nebuchadnezzar having to be humbled? It's, it's not that you have to be humble for God to put you in charge of a nation. Look at history, that proves itself wrong. That there's plenty of really boastful men throughout history. What's going on here is God has decided how long Nebuchadnezzar would rule. And to get him to that end point, I'm going to humble him. That's what's going to happen. What we're going to see next week when we get to chapter five is, yeah, it doesn't go that way. It's the same problem, but it's handled in a different way. So most of the rulers are full of pride. Nations rise and fall. What we need to remember is, that first dream of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a stone that was cut out of a mountain 
and it was made without hands and it came and it struck the feet of that idol and it crushed it and caused all of it to turn to dust. But that rock grew and it filled the earth, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar's branches filling the earth. This rock is going to fill the entire earth. There is coming a time when the kingdoms of men will cease. They will not be what's ruling the earth. Jesus is going to return and he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he will rule the nations. That's how it's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar seems to have gotten the message of Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The sun is going to come and the warning is you better kiss him because if not, he's going to crush you. The threat is he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Now, when Jesus returns and he rules these nations, does he need to learn the lesson of humility? No, Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. So Jesus has already humbled himself in becoming man. So then why do we need to learn the lesson of humility if, if there's going to be rulers? Well, the reason is because we're going to rule with Jesus. As he rules over the nations, we will be ruling with him. 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 20, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received the mark of the beast on their forehead or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We are going to reign with Christ. In Luke chapter 19, there's the parable of the minas. Remember the, the story of the man who goes off to receive his kingdom and he leaves some um, servants in charge and he gives them some money and he says, take care of this while I'm gone. When he returns, the first man says, well, you gave me five and here I made 10 more. And he says, good, good job. You are now over 10 cities. That's a picture that's looking forward to us reigning with Jesus. Now it's a parable. So don't look forward to, don't pick out today what 10 cities you get to reign over. Um, you're not the king, Jesus is. But we need to learn humility if we're going to be ruling with him. That, that's the call. The, the call is constantly to be humble, to agree with him, to do as he says. Because what Jesus also said is the last will be first and the first will be last. Nebuchadnezzar was the first. And by the way, he was going to plan to remain the first. But to remain the first, he had to be made the last. So kingdoms will come and go. They will rise and they will fall. But the need for our humility never goes away, even when the perfect king is ruling. So for us in this mid-time, in this, this interval between Jesus' first and his second coming, as we're sojourners traveling through this land that's not ours, this, these nations that don't belong to us, we can look to this and remember those two important things. The most high rules in the, in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So Kim Il-sung in North Korea was there, not because he was strong enough to do it, but because God put him on the throne. We, we got Barack Obama, we got Donald Trump, we got Joe Biden, not because we cast ballots, cast ballots, that's part of the process, but why did the one win who won? Not because the Democrats rigged the election and stole it, but because God put him on the throne. God is sovereign. He will put who he pleases in place. Not just the people you like, 
not just the people you agree with. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel are just this glowing example of you couldn't be more diametrically opposed. And yet Nebuchadnezzar is my servant and I put him there. So that's why we need, first of all, humility is to say, I'm not the one in charge. I don't get to make these calls. I am who God said I am, but also recognize this kingdom that we face now, not eternal. The kingdom that's oppressing us, that, that's denying rights, not eternal. It's not going to last. There is coming a king. And that's how we live in the midst of this crazy, ever-changing society that we're in. It's not our home. It's not going to last. We can live in it in humility, caring for people, worrying about Nebuchadnezzar and this terrible dream he had in sincerity because we know something greater is going to come. And that, that's the message. We'll hear the opposite of this next week, the kind of other side of the coin. Um, but it's really the same story. It's the same message. With that, let me close this in prayer. Lord, um, Jesus, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You have ascended into heaven. You are seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you rule. But Lord, we look forward to that day when that rule is not challenged by the kingdoms of men rising and falling before you. But when you come, you return to the earth and you rule over those kingdoms. And Lord, that is a tremendous hope for us. That is our blessed hope to look forward to that day, to see justice and righteousness acted out on the earth. When Nebuchadnezzar couldn't enact righteousness, when he couldn't help but oppress the oppressed, Lord, we look for that day when you will come and perfectly do all of those things with no need for repentance or humility, ascending to your throne on this earth as it's supposed to be. Lord, that day is beautiful to think of. Help us to live faithfully until that day. That's the constant refrain that we hear in the promise of your coming is, he who endures will sit on my throne with me. So Lord, give us the power, give us the tools to endure by understanding you rule in the kingdom of man and give it to whom you will. Yes, this in Christ's name. Amen.